Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What are these super strange UFOs people have been seeing over the American Southwest recently? Why is that area such a UFO hotspot? If there is a UFO cover-up, who is behind it and why? Greetings and welcome to the 602nd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben and those brief but pregnant questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this evening, we welcome a distinguished guest uh, to his second appearance on the show, and hopefully uh, the the one whose podcasts uh, that we that we lost, and we will not lose this again, or hopefully we do not. Also, your phone numbers are, or your phone calls are welcome. The numbers are 800-449-1240, that's from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, and 401-766-1240 locally. Also, we will monitor emails, paul at behindtheparanormal.com for emails. Now, in fact, we have not uh, been able to reach our guest so far. However, we will have confidence that we will do so, and I will give, him, uh, give you his bio at this point anyway. Alejandro Rojas has been a UFO investigator and researcher for many years. He served for several years as the director of public education for the Mutual UFO Network, that's MUFON, and that was a national position. He is now a broadcaster with Open Minds Radio, where he is also a writer and research specialist. Open Minds focuses on UFO and related phenomena. Alejandro has worked with ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox News, MSNBC, the History Channel, Discovery Channel, CNN, and many more. He has been uh, also interviewed, of course, around the world, including a number of appearances on Coast to Coast AM, the big nighttime show. His website is openminds.tv, openminds.tv. Okay, and uh, we hope to welcome him very soon, but in the meantime... While Ben is trying to reach him, uh, once again, we will um, give you an update on a case that you've heard about quite frequently on the show, and that is the subject of the new book by our good friend Bill Hall, William J. Hall, and that is The Haunted House Diaries. Ben and I attended the official release of that book at Barnes & Noble in Milford, Connecticut, a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, and uh, it was um, quite the show, and the book is about the Litchfield County, Connecticut case, one of the more recent... um, Actually, one of the first, and also because it's been going on for 10 years, our investigation, uh, one of the flap areas we're often talking about. Now, when you mention the word flap, you're talking about an area where there seems to be a great deal of paranormal activity, uh, sometimes seemingly unrelated sorts of phenomena. People very often don't relate uh, ghosts, quote-unquote, to UFOs or Bigfoot appearances and this sort of thing, but this is an area... Uh, where they do seem to be related because of the processes involved. And we've gotten into that many times on the show. And uh, if you do have a uh, question, you're welcome to call in about that. But um, the latest is that uh, I was over there last week, and uh, I was um, kind of sneaking around uh, the area, and uh, there is a farm where military activity was centered because we believe that these are... Uh, areas that are being investigated by the government or someone because they're very interested in harnessing the processes behind them. Wouldn't we love to weaponize the paranormal? So as a result, I got some very interesting shots, which you're going to have to wait to hear about because we have reached our guest, Alejandro Rojas, and um, we'll welcome him to the show. Hello there. Hello, Alejandro. Welcome back. 
Yeah, let's go in there doing? for a minute. Yeah, pretty fair, pretty fair, yeah. So, uh, well, why don't, well, Ben, why don't you start with our questions, and uh, we'll leave the readers hanging about, the readers, listeners hanging about <laughs> that other case. Well, that's I'm true. I'm a writer. I, mean, I can't help but think of readers. It's okay. Maybe they are reading. Who knows? Um, so uh, we're going to start off by saying welcome, as we already did. So recently there have been some very odd UFOs seen in the Southwest, including a very odd cube-like object over Texas in June, and uh, some of the pictures floating around the net are obviously fake, but others and the sightings, uh, of course, uh, supposedly were genuine uh, with uh, multiple witnesses as well. So what say you? I have not seen any credible videos uh, along those lines. The originator, uh, secure team, uh, YouTube, has a lot of hoax videos. Um, I've talked with a lot of other uh, investigators, who, uh, including uh, some people who do video graphics, uh, who point out what they feel are obvious signs that it is uh, computer-generated. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm very skeptical of the cube videos. Yeah, rightly so. You know, I have to tell you, Alejandro, it reminded me of nothing so much as the Borg cube in one or two of the Star yeah. Trek movies, you know? And well, and you know what the issue is, and I, I really think that this is a case of, of this, and, um, you know, there are, are other sites that are known for it, is that there are sites that have learned you can make money and make a living off of doing this stuff. And the more exciting and strange your videos, you know, the more buzz it's going to get. Sure. And I've even seen some of these sites where they didn't really, I don't think they necessarily intended to uh, hoax. They just wanted to put up some really neat kind of CGI videos. But they learned how much more popular and how much more buzz there is when you pretend your video is real, even though they know it's not. So they get more hits. And on YouTube, uh, when you monetize a video, you know, the more hits you get, the more money you can make. Uh, there are people out there who have estimated how much some of these people are making, and it's certainly enough for one, if not two, people to live off of, uh, you know, and have a pretty decent annual income. So Gee. I really think, unfortunately, uh, technology is kind of working against us in this case. Boy, that's that, that's kind of upsetting, and I'm thinking of real videos that we have, not of UFO stuff, but uh, that mm-hmm. we we we'd never make a dime on these things, which I, I I like because when you when you do have an income from this, you have a vested interest in things being strange, and I don't trust that, you know. Yeah, but, uh, I, well, I agree, and you know, when you go, when I tell people, there's some some rule of thumbs, red flags, you know, when you go look at videos on YouTube, typically. Uh, if a video is made or a YouTube site is made just for one video, that's kind of a red flag. Yeah. But often the best ones are people who are not, you know, um, making a lot of money on it. You can see that they've just posted things that a normal person would, you know, them at the park or their dog or some things that they're interested in. And it's just a normal account where, you know, they happen to see something strange that they post. But these sites that, uh, you know, post just these extraordinary videos I mean MUFON we post MUFON um, sightings and we've actually had some fairly interesting videos lately coming from uh, MUFON report but MUFON's the largest organization in the country they have people all over the country they no doubt receive the most reports and not even they receive you know an abundance of great uh, videos 
but somehow these YouTube sites that nobody knows and are obscure are able to get these amazing videos. Not only that, they copyright them and they put in there, you know, this <laughs> yeah. video is copywritten. Uh, you have to go through us. And they're the only ones who've ever talked to the witnesses. Yeah. Um, so Makes it's you wonder. Exactly. Well, I'm thinking, too, of, of a, a, a mutual friend of ours, Mark D'Antonio, who is, uh, mm -hmm. um, he's you know, he doesn't live that far from here. We see him a lot. Uh, he, he's recovering from a, an illness. He's been on the show. He's co-hosted with Ben. And he is uh, MUFON's National Director of Video and Photo Analysis. And he is, uh, uh, we sort of call him our killjoy because every time we have a photo. Yeah. But, uh, you know, then again, there is something that he says, you know, there could be something here. But that's the kind of person you need. That's, that's the kind of, of yeah. sharp eye you need. And hopefully we'll be seeing him at the Lemonster uh, New England UFO Conference in October as he recovers from his illness. He's doing pretty well, uh, thank heaven, because uh, he was kind of trying to touch and go there. Yeah, but, uh, no, but he's a, really Yeah, but he's a, he's a good fellow to have on your side when it comes to this stuff. So, yeah, although he never is. I mean, that's, I love Mark to death, and I love to have him look at stuff because yeah. he makes you think. And there are so many times where I've said, Mark's not going to be able to debunk this one, and he does. <laughs> it shows me, and I'm like, dang it. But, uh, well, well he, he, okay, well, no, I'm just gonna, he, he suggests alternatives. It, because I've found, too, because my photographic training was in the military, but it was many, many years ago, you know, before digital technology and all this. And mm -hmm. uh, I find that, that it you can't really say this is not what this is or this is what it is, but it's the very fact that, that, that you have to keep an open mind and you say, well, maybe uh, that, that I think is important. Part. Yeah, yeah. And then his, his, uh, from his perspective, he'd say, well, you can't prove that it is what it is or it isn't something uh, mundane. And, and he has a great point to that. I mean, there's sure. a couple of times where I don't agree with his analysis, but... Uh, there are a lot of times where he's able to prove pretty definitively that he's right, and um, that's frustrating, but uh, he's a very intelligent and capable person. Mm, oh, absolutely. So, Alejandro, would you uh, go a bit more into depth about how you would suggest that people judge the legitimacy of any evidence they see? You already mentioned some points about YouTube. Uh, what else would you ask people to look for, whether it be a still photo or, or a video? I suppose we should ask Mark these questions, but you're also very experienced in this field. Yeah, well, it's always difficult. I mean, one thing, and it, and it gets a little bit depressing at times. That's why it's exciting when sometimes we have something good going on. Yeah. But there are so many videos um, that are bugs or birds or reflections in the window. Here's an example. Um, when you're driving in a car, I mean... If you just look at, and this isn't something typically people do. Well, here's what happens with, with all of these things, that people will take pictures. They didn't see anything at the time, or videos. They didn't see anything at the time, but then they review their pictures, and they see something odd in the image. Typically, you didn't make note of that object at the time because it was mundane. You know, when you're standing somewhere and looking at... Um, you know, the trees and everything, and you see a bird fly by, you recognize it not because its shape is like it's supposed to be at a distance, because it's movement, and there's a number of things that make you see, okay, that's a bird, you know. Um, but when it comes to a photo, it may look strange, and without the context or the movement, you can't tell what it is, and, and that's why um, you didn't notice it in the first place, and that's often what happens. Same with reflections. When you're in your car, not people look 
look at their windshield, they look through the windshield. Mm -hmm. But if you take a moment driving in your car at night, especially on the highway, and look at your windshield, you're going to notice all of these reflections, even, you know, lights that you can't see but uh, you saw earlier, you know, that are reflecting in your windshield. And people get a lot of these things in their videos. They, of course, didn't notice them at the time because it was no big deal. But then later, out of context, they look strange. Um, one of the cases that, you know, people give me a lot of grief about uh, because they really like it is it, are these UFO photos in Texas. And uh, this was last year. I think it was around March. But I even think the first photo was a joke. It wasn't real. It was some guy who tweeted a reflection of a light in his windshield to his buddy and said, look, a UFO. <laughs> and then other people saw it. It went on Facebook and uh, a radio station posted it, and people posted similar things. But then locals posted, look, that is a reflection. It was a, it was like four or five lights in a circle, and someone who lived in the area took a picture of the highway lights, and it was there four or five lights in a circle. And people say, yeah, but, you know, that obviously wasn't a highway light. You can't see the, it, the, the pole in the middle. Of course you can. It's a reflection of those lights. Um, I've taken videos, similar videos and pictures, uh, you know, just and anybody can do this any night driving on the road. Uh, this sort of thing happens, and um, that's how those mistakes are made. So often they are innocent, but uh, unfortunately there's an example where uh, there was this couple who took a picture of the Loch Ness at Loch Ness. Um, and it was a reflection of a light inside their room. At least I'm convinced of that uh, because there was a debunking site that was able to very thoroughly explain this. And they explained it. Uh, Lee Spiegel had written about it, so I showed him that uh, these people had explained the image. He contacted the people, and even though it was very thorough, they said, nope, we were outside, we weren't inside, it's definitely not a reflection. So Lee then went back to the debunker and challenged him and said, they say you're wrong, that they were outside, even though I think his original analysis was good. Well, this guy did take it one step further, and he was able to find the exact room. He was able to have someone take a picture of the reflection of the light in the room, and so he really slam-dunked it and uh, put the whole thing to bed. People's memories just, you know, if it's something that happened a few months ago, uh, they, they have the feeling that maybe they were outside when they took the picture. Uh, but unfortunately, in this case, is an example where they didn't. So uh, unfortunately, the vast, vast majority, I'd say 99% of the pictures where people say, I didn't notice this when I took the picture, but I saw it later, it turns out to be something like this. Well, also, uh, I, we often point out that the with the age of digital photography, digital cameras usually will in, will interpret things oh, yeah. that they see. And, and that's where I think a lot of these, uh, well, in, in our work, the orbs, you know, that are much, much is made of these orbs. And people will yeah. assume they're oh, ghosts exactly. or the context, they might be UFOs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, maybe, I suppose. But I mean, but I think very often it's, it's just an interpretation of dust on the lens or something of this yeah. kind. Or uh, particularly when they're taking um, flash pictures, say, like especially in a cemetery at night or wherever there's a reflective surface, and many yeah. of the modern tombstones have reflective surfaces and bugs flying through. You're going to say they're going to say, "Aha! Look at all the ghosts or UFO or what what have yeah. you." You know, so that's another. I have problem. a good one. I've ghost one when I've done some ghost hunting, and these are along the lines of what you're talking about. 
where I've played with the dust, you know, just kick my feet on, push, just step regularly on the ground can release enough dust where that will catch in your flash. Sure. Or there's a famous cemetery in Colorado um, in Silverthorne, I think it's in, where it was, Silver Cliff, I think it is. But anyway, uh, this is a cemetery where people say they see ghost lights a lot, and people said, oh, the tombstones are not reflective. We got permission to spend the night there. Sure enough, the tombstones are reflective, mm-hmm. and they do reflect things that are off in the distance. But this was a really weird one. Uh, Richard Dolan. I got a picture of Richard Dolan. And there were these people that were wearing these interesting um, necklaces that were supposed to be interdimensional and stuff. I think it was in the guy named Fred Bell who had created them. Um, but I took a picture of Richard Dolan sitting at our table, and behind him was this image of, of this ghostly. It was someone <laughs> we knew, but it was ghostly. It was he was see-through. Uh, you know, I had absolutely understanding the technology. I had no idea how this happened. So we were really freaked out. Richard was freaked out. He sent it to a friend, I think in France, or he sent it to a friend of his who looked at it and said, well, the new cameras have a function where they will, like, combine. They'll take a couple pictures, like a burst photograph, and combine those in low-light areas. I didn't understand it, actually, the technology, and I was like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. This can't be. So we went into the studio and uh, I had my coworker Maureen walk back and forth with similar dark lighting. We we adjusted the light where it's similar, and sure enough, we were able to reproduce the picture. So the new cameras do all of these weird, strange things um, that are even difficult to understand. That that can create, um, you know, these these strange photographs, and, and it's technology different than film or things that we're used to. So. These are anomalies um, caused by the camera that we're not used to seeing either. That's a riot because we're going to see Richard this weekend at the uh, Exeter UFO Festival. Yeah, you can Festival. ask him about it. He'll yeah, oh, we'll remember. nail him on this. Uh, that, that'll be a riot. That's great. That'll that'll be over. That'll be our breakfast conversation. <laughs> yeah, the ghost uh, photograph. Exactly. That's great. Um, on the, the, the just uh, on the other side. Um, of the argument, so to speak, uh, and this is again mainly not not UFO related in our work, but um, I've, I've been in situations. I'm thinking particularly of a case way back, '74, and I'm standing there with police and firefighters, and we were watching a floating refrigerator and things of this kind. And then people wow. come by, you know, forty something years later, and they'll say, "Oh, that couldn't have happened. This is really what happened." I say, "You know, I was there. I saw it with my own mm-hmm. eyes." And you know, whoever's speaking, say, "You know, you weren't there." And I think that cuts a little ice. I mean, you know, witnesses can be unreliable, but, you know, if you're there with trained witnesses and the trained observers and the bloody thing is floating across the... I mean, obviously, that's hard to mistake and it's hard to forget. So there are situations where uh, the skeptics, I think, fall short. No, I agree with you. One of the frustrating ones here in Phoenix is, um, of course, the Phoenix Lights. And I know, you know, a lot of... I've talked to so many people who witnessed them, Including me. saw the lights go right... Oh, wow, I want to hear that. But From a plane. Lights go right over. And we have this guy, you know, Magaha, who's a well-known skeptic. Mm-hmm. And uh, he lives in Tucson. And he's convinced they were A-10 airplanes that were flying in formation. And look, I know these guys are not experts. These, uh, a lot of these witnesses. They're regular people. But they're going to know if an A-10 flies over their head. I think that that suggestion is absolutely ridiculous, if not more, uh, uh, 
more ridiculous than these people thinking perhaps what they saw was extraterrestrial because it certainly was not a 10. We can rule that out. And for someone to uh, make this suggestion and want to be taken seriously is beyond me. Yeah. Well, A-10s are loud. Now, They're spent, extremely loud. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in the military. I know what a flare looks like and I know what an A-10 sounds like. But I was, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Ben and I were flying to San Diego. Ben, was it? I was six, right? Yes, it was. It goes back a few years. And uh, we were flying over Phoenix, which is the uh, largest city in that section before you get to San Diego, as far as I know. And sure enough, uh, Ben was asleep on the other side of the plane. It was one of these red-eye flights. And I'm looking out, and, uh, you know, there were these three very bright lights in the sky. And it was very difficult to to judge the altitude at that point. But we were 33. I I bet they were probably 10. And um, 10,000, that is. And they split up. One one seemed as though it landed, and they, they were just. And of course, obviously, wow. we, were, we were we were proceeding at quite speed, so we didn't see it for that long. But I, but the next day, we got to the San Diego, and in in the paper was a report that Phoenix lights had been reported that that evening, uh, the evening before. So I said, you know, I probably saw the Phoenix lights, you know, from a plane. So um, whether it was, I'm not, I can't be absolutely sure, but it certainly uh, fit the bill. So I, I thought that was something of a privilege. That's way, pretty amazing. That's we've cool. done whole shows on that, you know. So, um, mm-hmm. so in any case, um, when it comes to UFO phenomena that might be real, because you can, that's a relative term sometimes, uh, you think of places like the Skinwalker Ranch and places in Connecticut that we've been investigating where supposedly these UFOs, and I've never seen this, come out of you know holes in the sky and all this business. And uh, we, th- there are situations in that Litchfield County, Connecticut case where uh, living things seem to have uh, come out of holes and they're dancing past people's windows and stuff. And I'm wondering, um, what do you think of this portal theory, for lack of a better term, that UFOs coming and going, as opposed to sort of uh, sprinting in from Zeta Reticuli or something, you know, the more nuts and bolts kind of craft sort of thing that uh, is, is common and... Uh, Common understanding I don't in the field. Know. What, what do you think? It's so difficult to know, but um, you know there are uh, theoretical physicists. In fact, we're going to have one called uh, Dr. Claude Swanson uh, at the UFO Congress this year um, to talk about this sort of thing and talking about you know string theory and all of this sort of thing, which is really confusing. Mm. But these ideas where they theorize, you know, and they're guys who would know better that. The, craft can pop in and out um, and maybe slip into a alternate dimension and then slip out of it uh, in order to travel. I don't understand the math. I don't understand it whatsoever. I have a hard time of conceiving of even what an alternate dimension would be, but um, these guys feel that that sort of thing can happen, and, uh, you know, you do hear of... Uh, the people seeing things that disappear and, and appear again uh, instantaneously, and, and they say, I don't know if it zoomed off at an incredible speed or it just disappears. Um, and Skinwalker Ranch you brought up, because that's a really interesting case where these scientists who uh, were observing, Dr. Eric Davis, I think his name is, another physicist, for instance, tells the story of how they were, you know, out, at the Skinwalker Ranch watching when they saw some strange creature appear to come out of a portal and then go back into a portal. Um, I think that's a very credible case. So you hear of these 
stories, and I suppose it's, um, and then you hear these these uh, these theoretical physicists. David Paris is another one. He's a mm. um, a professor at a university. He's an adjunct professor at the University of Nebraska and some other schools around that area. But uh, he helps run the MUFON out there, and he has a one of the only college MUFONs out there. And uh, he's working on his warp theory, and it's based off like uh, Valentich and uh, these cases in the Bermuda Triangle where he thinks, you know, a lightning storm can kind of produce a wormhole that can make people be able to travel very fast distances in very short amounts of time. And he thinks that sort of uh, technology or uh, anomaly is what he's incorporating into this technology where he says, He's being able to measure an effect, um, and he thinks, you know, he might be able to uh, soon replicate that and, and sort of create some sort of craft that can move using that sort of uh, technology. So, um, you know, coupling the, the science and the, the science guys who say this is possible and that's how it would work with the um, anecdotal witness information, it, it kind of makes at least me think that it's possible and maybe it is what people are witnessing. I don't know. Yeah, well, perhaps. Well, we're going to take our bottom-of-the-hour break here, and you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our fascinating guest, Alejandro Rojas, in just a moment, so stay with us. Hello, this is Manny Brando reminding you that my show is on Owen every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. You forget about me. What about you? Virginia Brando, your co-host. You and I are going to have a talk. Again? Owen Radio, Owen Worldwide. Okay, and before we resume our conversation, I wanted to remind you of a couple of the charities Ben and I have adopted. Certainly, Youth Mentoring Connection out in Los Angeles doing fine work out there. Tony Loray and his crew doing great work with at-risk youth using indigenous wisdom, uh, good common sense from our remote ancestors, and it really seems to be helping the kids out there. So, youthmentoring.org. Also, uh, a lot of the veterans' charities we've adopted as well. Uh, Locally, Builders Helping Heroes, a uh, charity of the Rhode Island Builders Association. I actually watched them build a house a special needs house for a Marine who had lost both his legs in Afghanistan, and I uh, was privileged to be at the uh, the key ceremony when they turned that over to him. Uh, and his wife, he and his wife were just about to have a baby. It was perfect timing, so great, great stuff going on there. Also, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, our friends to the north, and uh, check all those out. We'll give you some more information toward the end of the show. Let's get back to our conversation with Alejandro Rojas, uh, broadcaster, well-known UFO expert of many years' experience. Alejandro, we've been talking about some of these uh, multi, if you want to say multi-dimensional or uh, parallel world sort of scenarios for uh, UFOs. And uh, by, the, by the end of the 1970s, when I was working primarily with ghost research, I was so confused by what I was seeing that uh, I really threw myself head and shoulders into this whole uh, quantum physics kind of thing, multiple worlds and all this. Because the only thing that explained what I was seeing, both working with exorcisms and working with all this business. And then finally, uh, as Ben and I started to work together in, uh, you know, 10 years ago now, boy. About that, 10, 10, 10, Time flies, you're having fun. Well, we were, uh, I said, this is the only thing that explains this stuff. Uh, It was leading us into UFO research. 
Because the more you would look beyond a quote-unquote haunted house, the more you would see that had nothing to do with spiritualism and, a lot, and more to do with this, this interpretation of physics. So my degree is in philosophy, but, I mean, but uh, I'm not a physicist. But the, the, I go to physicists and I say, this is what we see. You're right. And then mm-hmm. the shaman it will tell you that that's the right approach, only they might use different terms. So I don't know. That, that's, that's my point of view on that. But when you come to the issue of um, um, what UFOs actually are when they're not natural phenomena, uh, I think perhaps, and maybe you'd agree, that uh, extraterrestrial visitors or extra-dimensional visitors might only be one possibility. There mm-hmm. are uh, pretty fringe things being discussed right now, such as they might be living beings, some of them anyway, or biological right. in nature. I mean, wh- what do you say about that, uh, th- that, that approach? I think that's completely possible. You know, I love that approach. I think it makes uh, a lot of sense in that a lot of people got uh, frustrated with... Uh, Jacques Vallée, for instance, because mm. he tried to push this idea, we don't know that they're extraterrestrial. We know there's a phenomena. The point is we don't know what it is. And, you know, people of science make that point, and I think it's a very valid point, and it's something that we all need to be cognizant of, because until it's proven, you know, we don't know. And, you know, if you follow science, um, especially in some of the science are, uh, arenas that move very quickly where they're making discoveries on a regular basis, so for instance with uh, space science, you know, typically things turn out to be nothing like what we predict them to be. That's true. Scientists will say, we think that it may be this, we may think that it's probably that, there's new news that dark matter is probably much more complicated and different than we ever thought it would be, Uh, that's as of this week. So, um, you know, just following that pattern uh, goes to lead us to this phenomena probably has uh, a lot to do with it that we couldn't even conceive of, that we couldn't imagine. Um, so we've just got to follow the data and, and follow it to see where it goes. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's great because then there's uh, new horizons, there's new learning um, that happens all of the time. But a lot of people want an answer, so they want to say, oh, it's easy, so that's, that's it. Uh, but I agree with you. It could be, uh, you know, there's, there's evidence now that perhaps life can exist in space. You know, they've found, the Russians found uh, plankton on the ISS that they believe uh, has survived on the, on the surface uh, in space. There uh, are scientists that argue that there are um, microbes in meteorites that have existed and survived in space. Even Seth Shostak wrote that he thinks, you know, recently that uh, microbes could probably exist inside of a meteorite, possibly not on the surface. But um, if that's the case, practically anything is is possible uh, when it comes to what is going on here. And, you know, even getting back to what you were talking about with um, the physics that explains all of this stuff and kind of getting back to Dr. Claude Swanson, and that's why I really find his work fascinating. I'm just reading his books, yeah. Yeah, that the um, subtle energies, you know, that he believes uh, believes exist, and, you know, it's from studying the quantum, um, that all these subtle energies, if they exist, in, uh, can explain and allow for, because our current physics can allow for faster than light speed and some of these other things, but this sort of physics can allow for ghosts and, and telepathy and time, um, travel, and all of these other things that we suspect can happen, we just 
don't understand. And that's that's kind of the gist of what he's talking about, how all of these things are related. Um, And I think that's fascinating. So who knows? Uh, You know, I've heard stories of, for instance, people believing that, you know, channeling and saying that uh, aliens can see ghosts and stuff like this. Uh, And it sounds ridiculous, but who knows? We just don't know. What if um, there are extraterrestrial, you know, beings who, who can perceive these things that we can't perceive? Um, I think anything's possible. So keeping an open mind and, and trying not to come to a conclusion is really important on being able to accept data, I think, and um, not filter or paint that data incorrectly with your own um, presuppositions. Well, exactly. One of the issues that we're always harping on is uh, the over-specialization in American education, well, modern mm-hmm. education in general, and, and uh, that, that spills over into science. And with all due respect to science, I mean, some people treat it like a religion. Uh, mm-hmm. The overspecialization, I think, can be debilitating. Uh, I have a dear friend who is a behaviorist, and we're always arguing, not arguing, but, you know, the lively discussions about, you know, uh, well, you know, behaviorism in, in, in the, the Skinnerian sense is uh, 19th century thinking, in my opinion. It, it involves uh, complete disregard of non-locality and quantum effects, things that, that are now coming to the fore in, in, uh, among physicists who research consciousness. And, I mean, it's like one side doesn't talk to the other, or if they do, they don't understand. It. I mean, and, and this, I think, the more interdis- interdisciplinary approach to our thinking, certainly to our education, is the only thing that's going to get us anywhere, uh, never mind with the paranormal. You know, mm-hmm. and so that—that's just an opinion. But uh, I, I, science no, I has agree. serious limitations. And I think that's a danger. It's one of—I think behaviorism or the whole uh, nature versus nurture and all of these areas. See, that's my my degree in psychology, and in that science, you know, uh, like you said, this sort of adoption, religious sort of adoption to an answer or worldview is dangerous and it's really anti-science because yeah. strict science, there's no such thing as certainty. Uh, nothing is for certain. Everything is a theory and um, no theory really can be proven. Uh, even what we refer to as physical laws can be adjusted uh, when more is discovered, and mm-hmm. they are on a regular basis. Yep. So to adhere to one perspective um, completely faithfully is anti-science, because science is about you know beating up your theories and learning more and more about them, because there's nothing we, we understand absolutely completely. We learn more about everything, even things we know very well, uh, on a regular basis. Very true, absolutely. But getting back to our UFOs, um, what are, in your opinion, the world's top UFO hotspots at the moment? Hotspots, you know, um, going statistically... Being an arbitrary term. Yeah. Um, You know, the Southwest is always uh, a hotspot, but um, my guess as to why that is, though, is not necessarily that there are more sightings or more, um, you know, anomalous things flying around. I think it's more that the skies are sunnier. I mean, there's more sun out here. Yeah. So, like, for Arizona, which has a lot of sightings per capita, um, you know, 
people are outside looking up more and there's less clouds and it's warmer. Um, so people, I think, see more things. I think the same is true of Colorado, which is really high up there per capita. Um, Missouri seems to have an abnormally large amount of sightings um, for their area. At least they did the last couple of years. That's because people but, uh, are looking, like Ted yeah. Phillips and those fellows, you know. And, that, and it could be. I mean, they do have a um, big MUFON group out there. In fact, one of the um, interim board members for MUFON is the, the state director out there. And there's Ted Phillips, who is well-known, and others. Uh, so that could be a factor. Otherwise, it's hard to say. You know, um, this case, uh, there's a case we've been writing about in Puerto Rico, and it's a really interesting one, and uh, it's kind of brought to the forefront uh, what has always been heard anecdotally, which is that Puerto Rico has a lot of sightings. And in fact, this case was caught on a thermal imaging system by uh, the Customs uh, and Border Patrol, which is a branch of Homeland Security. And it seems that there's information coming from people who knew about this, uh, which would lead us to believe that it is people in Customs and Border Patrol who also believe that there are aliens flying around in Puerto Rico and they have a base in the ocean out there. So it seems like a widespread belief out there, and it, and it seems there's a lot of sightings out there. Yeah, I talked but, to, um, I was there in 84, sorry to interrupt, I was there in 84 and in, in the line of duty. I was in the Coast Guard, and I actually oh, wow. t talked to a member of the Puerto Rico legislature who lived on the hill overlooking the Mona Passage, uh, part of the... Caribbean Sea that's out there and he said uh, they were sitting out there having a barbecue one day with his family on a Sunday afternoon all of a sudden this thing comes out of the, the water and goes zipping off into the sky he said what and he said uh, he believes wow. it now and I've actually seen that that ship that that naval vessel that supposedly sits out there and nobody knows why and I've actually seen that vessel so um, wow. at least in 84 that was true wow that's pretty extraordinary sighting so I don't know, that may be. Otherwise, you know, uh, where there are more people who are open to um, these ideas, it seems to be um, where there are a lot of sightings. I think people are, are open to reporting them. Like South America has a lot of official government UFO investigation organizations, and they seem to have sightings. Um, and then, you know, one of the real, of course, there's the Brown Mountain Mites. Sure. Um, What's exciting, though, too, is, is Hesdalen. You, you've probably had people on talking about um, in Norway, there's an area called Hesdalen where there's a lot no, of... No, we haven't, we haven't covered have that. Yeah, this is really interesting because there's a local university that's been investigating these lights um, for decades, and hmm. they have videos of them, and it's kind of an, a well-accepted thing there, and it's... it's um, observed and, and investigated by, um, you know, academics out there. They don't know if it is some sort of natural phenomenon or not. A lot of them believe it is not, but there are lights seen at night flying around in that area. And that's, I think that's one of the most fascinating ones because it seems to happen on a regular basis. It's caught on camera by this university and studied by the university. Um, that I'll have really to get on that. Yeah, we have a contact in Denmark. So <laughs> his name oh, is e yeah. his name is Eno too. He's not a relation. It's bizarre, but uh, he runs the Paranormal Institute thereof, and uh, 
we'll have to. But thanks for the word on that. Um, just yeah. um, before we, we're burning up this hour, something fierce. Our our speaking topic at two UFO conventions this fall is going to be uh, something people are interested in: parasites, for I should say, uh, alien versus demon, which is which. Because that's come up, especially in doing a little work with Kathleen Marden and, and Denise Stoner, who are abduction experts, and mm-hmm. Kathleen, of course, being the, the niece of Betty and Barney Hill of the famous uh, 1961 case. And we were, um, it keeps coming up that people think they're seeing ghosts and they turn out to be greys, uh, well, so they think, or that they think they're seeing greys and it turns out to be something really negative. And, and you know, the question is, how do you tell the difference? So that's what we're dealing with. Have you ever run into that sort of thing? I don't know how much you work with abductees, uh, but in your research, have you encountered sort of ambiguous evidence about what these things may be and maybe indicating the labels we put on them might be kind of arbitrary? Well, I think that could be it. I don't know. It's difficult to say. I mean, there are a lot of... I've seen more of, and not personally. I have worked with some abductees. I've never ran into any... Um, confusion about whether they were demons or not, mm. um, but uh, certainly I've worked with many people who who have ran into that sort of thing, uh, including uh, someone who I know talks about it a lot is, um, uh, oh, it's, she's a researcher, I can't remember her name right now, it'll come to, oh, Rosemary Ann Guiley. Rosemary Ellen uh, Guiley, yeah. yeah, she's writing the preface for my next book. <laughs> yeah, so she talks about the shadow people and in yeah. investigations, and I've talked to others where a lot of people who thought those were ghostly now feel that those perhaps are abduction experiences or some sort of thing that seems to be uh, happening more around people who believe they've been abducted. Um, so that's really interesting. I've seen more of along the lines of people who research demons or, or, or ghostly stuff who have said, you know what, I'm starting to believe this isn't a ghost or demon, but it's an alien that's messing with it person. Yeah, again, too much uh, specialization. Yeah, yeah. Even exactly. in this field. So I've heard a lot of that, and where and those people typically are hesitant to say anything because there are a lot of areas of the paranormal where they don't cross over and they don't like you. So yeah, like the ghost yeah. person doesn't want to talk about aliens because they don't want to hurt their credibility. So. So well, such as it may be. For that to me. Yeah, we don't need any more self-appointed experts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they'll uh, they'll kind of whisper that. They'll say, you know, I think I would never say anything like this, and please don't tell anybody. But I think that you know this person isn't haunted. Uh, their house isn't haunted. I think they're being abducted. Yeah. And so I've heard quite a bit of, of these ideas. I think you know, like you said, uh, a problem of specializing or a problem of. Um, uh, of kind of uh, the words we use, kind of um, vocabulary, in that uh, you know maybe we're too quick to label something. I think maybe sticking to the term anomalous uh, or unknown. Those I, people really get frustrated with sticking with those terms because it equals we don't know. Exactly. But that's the truth. We don't know, and we're too quick to jump. Well uh, put. To answers. Yeah. Before we burn up the hour completely here, tell us about your uh, your website, your broadcast, uh, where people can find out more about you. Yeah, openminds.tv is our website where we post UFO news on a daily basis. Uh, we've got a lot of really interesting triangle stories lately uh, mm-hmm. with uh, some videos and pictures. We do a YouTube weekly UFO report, um, and then we also do the UFO Congress, which is going really well. We've got 
more people uh, going to it this year than than ever. You know, each year seems to get bigger. Uh, so bigger tickets quick. And we've got a lot of really interesting people like Claude Swanson, who I keep uh, mentioning, but we've got several PhDs. You know, when it comes to abduction, we've got uh, Dr. Um, David... Uh, I don't know what's wrong with my brain today, but uh, you're getting older, kid. I'm telling you. Yeah, same as one me. Of the most popular uh, abduction, David Jacobs. Uh, David Jacobs, yeah, yeah, he's a good he's guy. A professor yeah. of history, and then we've also got a gentleman who's a professor of journalism, um, Joe Lewell. And what's interesting about these guys is they're both academics coming at this at a totally different direction. So they have completely different perspectives on the phenomenon. And I think it's going to be interesting. Um, to hear that. And then we've got one of the congressmen from uh, the citizen hearing uh, who is going to talk about how he was skeptical of all of this until he heard, uh, you know, from, he says he heard from some people he didn't believe, but he heard from some very credible people, and it completely changed his mind. Wow. Now he's really fascinated. That was the intention of the citizen's hearings, yeah. Where's the Congress taking place? That is in the Phoenix area, Fountain Hills, um, February 17th to the 21st. Great. Excellent. Okay, so I just wanted to get that taken care of so we wouldn't uh, blow the whole show without getting your word out there. One of the uh, the other issues, too, because there are many, many things. We could go on all night about this. Uh, the issue of time travelers and, and binary codes, and I'm referring, of course, to the Rendlesham Forest case, that one of the areas... Flap areas, Ben and I have been researching because there's a lot more to that case than those 1980 sightings by the Air mm-hmm. Force people. And uh, Ben, do you have any comment uh, on that? Because I'm, I'm using up all. It's, this. well, I, I'm just, I'm just going to put this out there because, well, for one, I wasn't there. I didn't expe- I didn't experience uh, what was experienced by um, that was that was John, right? Well, John Burroughs and and uh, Larry Jim Warren, and yeah, Jim yeah, Peniston, yeah, 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 all those. John stars. was the one who had the binary code, yes. Uh, that was Jim Penniston. Jim, there we go. I knew it was either John or Jim. Yeah. I, I couldn't remember which. <laughs> well, you had a few experiences yourself. Yeah, but we're not going to go into that. That, right. is, that doesn't matter right now. What okay. matters is I find it very strange that it seems like the binary code has changed over time, um, and I find it hard to believe, and it's very hard for me to understand and wrap my wrap my mind around what they're trying to say when they don't quite explain the mechanism by which it was quote-unquote downloaded. I mean, I understand this is probably alien technology, but at the same time, it's it's kind of hard to believe, you know? Well, the question arises, what is the agenda of whatever's behind this? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. You, you hear you hear all sorts of people saying that, oh, well, they're, they're here to help us. They're enlightened masters. They're going to come and save us. Then there's the other people that say they're, gonna, they're just going to straight up come and kill us. I think it's unfair for us to put human motives and human uh, attributes... Onto non-human entities. Am I am I wrong in thinking that? Well, I think that there's a number of, of things here. But first of all, being kind of like what we've been talking about, putting any more any presupposition, I think is dangerous because then it doesn't uh, it closes your mind to some data that may not fit that. Uh, but you're exactly right. Just like assuming we understand the nature of anything at all, um, let alone motives. I, I agree with you there. And then when it comes to Jim himself, he's been extremely confused about uh, writing these numbers down. I've talked to him for a while over the years. He didn't talk about it for a long time. When he mm. first talked about it, he told me he was completely uncomfortable about talking about it, didn't want to, was a little upset that people were because it got out there 
um, and he wasn't completely comfortable with how and who and all of the circumstances around that because he didn't know what it was and he doesn't understand it himself. He he did it felt it would hurt his credibility and interestingly enough, he's always felt that uh, it wasn't extraterrestrial in nature and it's been something I know that Jim and John have, have disagreed upon. Uh, he's always felt that perhaps what he saw that craft was from the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been feeling along those lines uh, less than it's uh, extraterrestrial. In fact, at one point he told me he doesn't even believe in extraterrestrials that have come and visited. He thinks that, you know, completely that that was uh, something from the future. So it's all very confusing. And, and you know, any, I think all of this is, is not just difficult to get our minds around um, if it is something sophisticated, that would be no wonder that we would have a hard time of conceiving these things. And, of course, I think we've, like we've talked about, and I, I'm totally a subscriber to the idea that all of this phenomena is, is extremely enigmatic. And when you look at it, um, I think Valet and some others have even gone down this path, is that it almost seems like uh, Skinwalker, I think, is a great example, and a lot of those, those guys believe this. It's enigmatic for enigmatic sake. Um, it's just beyond what we can comprehend, um, and that's why it's difficult for us to even um, comprehend what motives might be at play. Yeah, well, that's that's as, probably as good as we can approach it, I suppose. Yeah. So just in our last minute or so here, what, what is what is your next big project, Alejandro? What what, what are you working on? Uh, you know what, we're still, uh, I'm going to do a follow-up to this Puerto Rico thing um, with some added information that we've had. I'm waiting to hear for, back from Customs. They said they were going to give me an official response, um, so I was excited about that. Surprised that they even responded, and now they're not responding. No, I wouldn't anymore. hold my breath, yeah. yeah they kind of exactly. have their hands full. Yeah, that's true. And they're understaffed, so probably yeah. probably not going to hear much back much on that, but that's, that's what we're working on besides just getting new stories in all the time, and uh, we're going to do on our next UFO report, uh, you know, show some of these pictures and videos that we've gotten from people who believe they've seen some triangular uh, aircraft that uh, they can't explain. Excellent. Okay, and the website again, openminds.tv. Alejandro, great conversation as always. We'll be in touch. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Okay. Let's do our announcements. We have many, many things to say to you. Uh, The first thing is this Saturday and Sunday, September 5th and 6th, we are speaking once again at the Exeter UFO Festival in Exeter, New Hampshire, and our subject is Aliens vs. Demons, Which is Which? The uh, UFO Festival is a very fun town-wide event organized by the Kiwanis Club to benefit local children's charities. And other speakers will include the great Stanton Friedman, along with Richard Dolan, Kathleen Martin, Bob Schroeder, and Jennifer Stein. You can visit www.exeterufofestival.org for more information. And there are links to that on our website, behindtheparanormal.com. On Thursday, September 24th, less than a month from now, we will join the Haunted House Diaries author, William J. Hall, for a joint book event and paranormal program at Hank's Restaurant in Brooklyn, Connecticut. Hank's has great food. It'll be a lot of fun. It is a f- the program itself is free, though the food is extra, and that'll begin at 6.30 p.m., and there'll be two separate presentations, one by Ben and, one, ben and myself and one by Bill, if you're not in South Carolina. <laughs> so yes, 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 that is, that is provided. Also, uh, on Saturday, October 17th, uh, we'll once again be speakers at the Greater New England UFO Conference uh, at the city 
excuse me, the City Hall in Lemonster, Massachusetts, and we will present a different variation on our subject, Alien vs. Demon, which is which uh, other speakers will include. Some renowned experts uh, familiar to our listeners, including Richard Dolan, uh, Peter Robbins, Mark D'Antonio, and William J. Hall. You can visit their, the website for this event, susantom.com slash ufo.html. And if you visit our website, behindtheparanormal.com, excuse me, there are uh, all sorts of links there, especially the events we just mentioned. And you can also find over 600 free podcasts, all free. Uh, from both ON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. And we had some great news from one of our listeners, uh, one of our faithful listeners here in this area, uh, that he has recorded some of the shows that we lost, that the, where the podcasts were lost for technical or other reasons, and uh, we may be able to put those up. They're not of high quality, but at least you'll be able to hear them, so we'll uh, keep you posted on that. And you can find my books on Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, Barnes & Noble Nook, etc., etc. And that's Faces at the Window, Footsteps in the Attic, Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny. And certainly, uh, Rhode Island, a genial history, if you're interested in that. Uh, but if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I'll be happy to sign them for you, and you will help us keep all those podcasts free. And uh, also on our website, you'll find uh, links to the charities we mentioned, uh, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, USACares.org, Youth Mentoring Connection, etc., Great stuff. Please check it out. And uh, just briefly, there are two recent uh, books uh, released, uh, well, last year actually by Global Communications, Timothy Green Beckley's publishing company. Be of interest to our listeners. One is The Bell Witch Project, which contains that story and also a few contributions by yours truly on historic paranormal cases here in New England, including the 17th century Specter Leaguers of Massachusetts and the 18th and 19th century Vampire Hysteria in Rhode Island and Connecticut. Believe it or not, that really happened. A special interest to folks here in the Owen 1240 listening area is another Beckley book, UFO Repeaters, with an entire chapter on our old friend Joe Ferrier, talk show host here on Owen 1240 for over 50 years. Oh, yes, Maybe. don't forget about all of our books available at Amazon.com. You can also use the links at our bookstore uh, on our show website. That's BehindTheParanormal.com. And next Monday, September 7th, uh, is a holiday here in the U.S., so we will offer a uh, rebroadcast of our very interesting April 20th show that was with uh, Tim Schwartz on his experiences in the paranormal from pyramids to poltergeists. And also the, there's a, the following week there will be, a uh, on the 14th, there will be a rebroadcast also. We hate to do that two weeks in a row, but Ben and I are both committed to different things that evening. Yes. And I'm not sure exactly what the rebroadcast is. If you have a suggestion for something we broadcast over the last year you'd like to hear again, uh, just to send it to us at paul at behindtheparanormal.com, and we'll uh, certainly uh, arrange that with our engineer. Also, so. feel free to use uh, the messaging system on Facebook as well. You can go to our Facebook page, Behind the Paranormal, with Paul and Ben Eno. Make sure to like us and uh, keep, in, keep in touch that way. Uh, if you don't feel like sending an email, if you feel that's too antiquated for you, you can always use the Facebook messaging uh, app via that. Exactly. So anyway, we'll leave you this evening with a quote attributed to Helen Keller. Keep your face to the sunshine, and you will never see a shadow. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you all next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.